This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi ona tangata o Manawatu. Um, I should apologise. Actually, on Wednesday we missed uh, an episode of the catch up. My car broke down and I was unable to interview Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard. He's uh, been very gracious and accepted my apology, and we hope that it won't happen again. But uh, it looks like Christmas is cancelled in the Greg uh, household um, as we repair the car. Um, enough of my problems and uh, let's talk to MP for Palmerston North in the regular slot on the catch-up. Tang Yutikeri, good morning to you. Morena Fraser, great to be back in Palmy this week uh, for a recess week and uh, always good to be here with you at NPR. Thank you very much. Very pleasant. Um, now, today is a momentous occasion as the the government and, and subsequently the country uh, are pivoting and changing how we are responding to the pandemic now that the vaccination rates are at for some uh, demographics at an acceptable level. Um, we are using the traffic light system and we are in orange we are, we are. And so today marks the first day of the transition to that new COVID protection framework. And uh, the entire country is either at orange or red. And so here in Palmerston North um, and our immediate surrounds, we are in orange. And so, yes, people waking up this morning um, will be waking up to not the alert level system, but a new protection framework that obviously has uh, responsibilities for individuals, for organisations, businesses and workplaces um, as people get used to, which should be a, a streamlined process. We, I think we can be heard on the fringes of the rangitiki, so there are some people near us that are in red. Yes, there bulls. are. Yeah, bulls is. And just the, the Rangitike River uh, marks the demarcation, really, between the red and the orange. And, you know, when the announcement was made earlier in the week, um, we had a couple of people reach out to us just getting some clarity because, and I can understand, you know, on the one hand, um, vaccination rates are dealt with by uh, DHB regions. Um, the approach for the traffic light system uh, has been rather nuanced in that it's based on local territorial authority boundaries. So, yep, in between us and Rangitike is Manawatu and so some people who live in Fielding, for example, were um, reaching out on social media saying, you know, we see that um, that Bulls is in red, so does that mean Fielding is? So, yeah, just some clarity around where the lines are drawn on the map and what that means for people in terms of whether they're in orange or in red. So if someone uh, lives in Bulls but commutes to work in Palmerston North every day, what does that mean for them? It means they're still able to travel um, but it does mean that they they obviously need to operate under the alert level system that they um, going into a workplace vaccination requirements or vaccine pass and the like um, exactly the same. So it's, it's no longer an approach where, for example, Auckland there is some restriction to the boundary um, still up there, but for the rest of us who are either coming or going from um, different levels, it, it means that we need to 
need to make sure that we do the right thing. If, if someone is travelling into red from orange, for example, then you still need to abide by the, the red. It's not you take your orange with you into red. Um, when you're in an area that is uh, classified under the traffic light system as red, then you need to abide by the red. So bulls, when they're, uh, if someone in bulls is coming to Palmerston North, they can behave like an orange in Palmerston North, North even though orange. they're from a red yeah, so it's it's. I know it sounds a, a little bit strange, but the, the focus is actually on the way in which entities and organisations are able to function uh, in an area under an alert level. So we are orange. It means that all of our businesses um, will choose to function either with vaccine certificates or not. And under orange, there are select criteria that people have to meet um, regardless of, of, of who they are. Um, and, you know, we've had a lot of businesses reaching out to us. I know the, the Chamber are this morning um, in association with CEDA running a, an information centre, uh, not centre, opportunity mm-hmm. session, that's the word I'm looking for on a Friday morning, um, to support businesses with some of their questions um, because, you know, a lot of businesses need to uh, go through a process of deciding whether they're going to uh, be open to those only who are vaccinated or not. Mm-hmm. And there are... Um, consequences as a result of those decisions. Uh, are the police ready for increased activities as perhaps some of the unvaccinated members of our society find the limitations put on them frustrating? I haven't had that conversation with the police locally. I do have regular conversations with them, but not around that. What I am um, hopeful and expected of is that people take the responsibilities seriously um, and that those that don't, um, that clearly there, there may be some consequences. And sure, we don't want to get the police involved at, at every opportunity. A lot of this is about people who often make honest mistakes. Um, education is really important. But ensuring that people are encouraged to do the right thing is important, and I'm sure the police will play a role in that as well. Um, with the I mean, there are a lot of businesses with unanswered questions. People, it looks like, are are more unprepared than you would expect for this huge machine to roll out. I've asked you in this slot before one very particular question that MPR have around communal facilities in a shared building. I still haven't got a clue what to do about that, so I'm ignoring the problem, Tangy. That's not great, is it? Well, no, it isn't. And, you know, a lot of the uh, contact that we've had certainly over the last week, particularly as there has been confirmation around the announcements of particular regions moving into whatever in an orange here locally, um, we've been able to answer some of those questions uh, or we've put people to the systems that have been put in place. Um, Yes, there has been huge demand, for example, the 0800 number Mm -hmm. that was earlier announced um, earlier in the week and there have been some... Um, additional resource put into that and the platform as I understand it has changed as well to accommodate some of that and so we're trying to encourage people um, to go to the places and the people that are able to provide the specific advice and support so for example when we talk about downloading um, vaccine certificates through the My Vaccine platform some people have a few issues around that and so it's great that local pharmacies um, who administer the vaccinations are able to support people there locally Um, it's pointing people in that direction, people in our office as well, able to support people to do that. The Palmerston City Library, mm-hmm. as I understand, also are making themselves available. So it's making sure that we're able to point people to the right direction and give them the support that they need.
Yes, there was a, an Android phone in our house a couple of nights ago that nearly went out a window trying to get the vaccine pass on it, but uh, we succeeded in in the end. Um, there is the increasingly obvious, uh, in air quotes, them and us divide. Uh, I am a, I'm not going to say hypocrite, but I recognise the problem exists. I recognise what I should do about my behaviours to sort of mitigate that divide. But I don't do it because I am really annoyed with people that aren't getting vaccinated without what I consider to be, in my ignorant opinion, a legitimate excuse. The the them and us divide is growing. And if the unvaccinated population uh, latch on to the Brian Tamakis and, and the others of this world, it's, it's going to get very unpleasant in New Zealand in 2022 uh, as, as the unvaccinated consider themselves, I think quite rightly in this regard, second-class citizens because they will not have the freedoms of people who have been vaccinated. There is going to be two distinct classes of people that, that, that traverses ethnic divide or religious divide, the, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And that's... That's a struggle for a society to continue with that clear definition, isn't it? Well, what I would say is that the number of people who are still choosing to uh, receive the, the vaccine is increasing. Yes, the numbers are starting. We expect the numbers to start to dawdle a little bit. Um, but here locally, you know, in the in Palmer's North, I think about 97% have at least one dose and we're over 90%, um, you know, across the, the entire mid-central rohi or region. Um, but what I would say is that this is still an element of choice. But yes, along with that come some restrictions on what people may or may not do. But that does not carry restrictions for, um, you know, people's ability to go to the supermarket, to access health um, and disability services, um, to access government support agencies like MSD Work and Income and the like. So yes, there are some restrictions that some will face based on the choices that they make, but they won't fundamentally um, have a huge impact on those life-preserving capacities and, and opportunities. What I'm hearing from people in our community are effectively constant conversations with people. You know, when I, and I know I've talked about this before um, on your show, but where I talk with some of those working in our vaccination centres locally, that it's not one, two, three you know, visits, that it's the fourth or fifth conversation, sometimes more, where people want to have the information and get some understanding. What I find uh, disturbing and difficult is that some of the information that some people are getting are you know, it's, it's a mis- misinformation. Um, and so I'm encouraging even people that want to come and have a conversation with me about vaccination and what it means for them and their whanau to ensure that they're having trusted conversations, that they're getting information from reputable sources. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, that there are some constituents who, who contact me and, and want to have a conversation about, you know, mandates, for example. Um, and while I'll listen to their views, I, I fundamentally stand by my very well, similar position to yours, actually, that I'm double-vaxxed, that I fully endorse the approach to the vaccination rollout and Mm -hmm. will do anything that I can to encourage and support that. Um, But at the same time, I acknowledge that people have a right um, to different views and perspectives. But at the same time, I expect them to abide by the law in terms of health and safety and respecting um, the rights of of people to go about their business as they choose. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the unvaccinated are no longer able to go about their business as they choose. Um, well, I, no, I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't accept that. Well, they're that. not. They can't go to the cinema. They can't uh, enjoy a number of the recreations and hospitality that you and I can. They are being punished 
for what you say is a choice. They, so when it comes down to it, it comes down to business owners, community organisations and entities to make decisions that they believe is in the best interest of their workplace and their worksite. And so they make the decision about whether or not they are going to allow a requirement or have a requirement for those that visit their sites to be fully vaccinated. Well, that's not a choice either because NPR, I mean, in an ideal world, we're meant to be an, an accessible organisation, but we also have a close contact uh, component to what we do. So we have had to, and, and for business continuity's sake, in order to ensure that the staff uh, are still employed and the, the clients that we do have that are double vaccinated can make use of it, we've had to go with the vaccine certificate. Again, it's not, it's not a choice on our behalf to not do it. We, we, are, we were originally considering, before it all became clear that you couldn't do this, a sort of split model where one day a week we would be no vaccine necessary. and there, You can't do that. You have to pick a way to go. So the choice is not there. Well, what I would say is that, you know, there, there are tools available. There's a business and community organisation tool that the government through MB um, have rolled out to consider and make these these decisions. And in some circumstances, they could be tough decisions for organisations and others, they're not. Um, but there is still a choice element behind whether it's a community organisation, a business or an entity to consider and weigh up all the risks, all the opportunities and to fundamentally make a decision that they believe is in the best interest for them. We are here with Tangi Uti. Kerry, uh, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, uh, on the catch-up this morning. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Let's get my blood boiling a little bit. Let's talk housing Um, because this this winds me up almost more than the the anti-vaccination standpoint. Particularly with the, uh, the RVs that have come out, well, is it today, I think, yeah. from the councils? Yeah. Uh, you, you, my family is a, a six-figure income family, albeit very low on that, but we are. And yeah, we're not buying a house. Not happening. I, impossible. Um, I think, have we spoken to you since we spoke to Caroline Miller, uh, the woman from... Planning? The, no. Um, so about the, the Savage Crescent, she wrote the book on... Oh, on no, Red no, Island. we haven't. Um, basically, uh, this, we, we, we touched on this issue briefly and didn't have time to complete it, but basically... Everyone in New Zealand below a certain threshold of income is just renting now. Um, and renting shouldn't have the stigma it has. But New Zealand is based on a premise of, you know, mostly small uh, mum and dad investors mm. with a couple of properties. The, the the infrastructure of renting in New Zealand does not support the level of renting that we have in New Zealand. Home ownership is still the desired outcome. Uh People are expected to have that as a security for their retirement um, because, you know, you can say what you like about KiwiSaver and and state pension and things. It's not great. Um, So the housing issue, the housing crisis is very real and it is not getting better, not even remotely. Every plan that the government has come out with doesn't even touch the sides of how to solve the housing crisis. And I know you've been in select committees about this and there's a, 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 a cross-party agreement. Perhaps yeah. you can elaborate a little on the housing supply bill. Yeah, so, I mean, what I would say is that it's accepted that there is a crisis and, you know, there's no two bones about that. I mean, that's been up front and centre for quite some time. And 
just reflecting on the RV values that came out over the course of this week from local councils just underscored that even more so. And so what we saw a couple of months ago is a bipartisan approach from Labor and National um, together looking to address some of the issues around housing supply. And so most of my week this week has been in select committee, um, albeit online, um, working through the deliberative process around around that, which should be released sometime today if it hasn't already been. I'm just waiting on officials for that. But basically that bill um, seeks to provide housing supply opportunities in largely, you know, tier one and, and tier two councils. That's what the, the whole premise of the bill was uh, when it entered the parliament. We here locally are a tier two council. So tier one are your larger metros, so your Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Tauranga and the like, Porirua, whereas Palms North City Council um, is a tier two. And so what it would provide is an opportunity for uh, less restrictions around an ability to build. So for example, three stories um, as of right without the need for a resource consent. So removing a lot of that red tape um, and bureaucracy that has effectively allowed councils to put these things in, in place. Along so the way. has that been, is, is this a real issue that developers want to build multi-storey housing in Palmerston North but Palmerston North City Council won't let them or can't let them because of the rules? Yeah, well, I mean, I think here locally, and we did hear from the Palmerston City Council in their public submission, um, they're saying that they probably won't avail themselves of this opportunity as a Tier 2 council because there is still capacity in terms of um, medium growth opportunities here in the city. Um, Their Tamakuku um, expansion opportunity is a good example of that. Whakarongo's area that's tagged for development and we see development on the fringes. Yeah, but they're all going to be the big four-bedroom houses that are going to cost probably $800,000. Dollars. Yeah. The, 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 the high density housing uh, is prob- is likely going to be more affordable for first time buyers. Although first-time I would buyers. say with Tamakuku that there are initiatives with Homes for People, for example, to make sure that it is affordable and meeting you know a particular need there. But what I would say is that this is targeted at infill housing opportunities. So housing supply on existing sites where there could be a subdivision opportunity where it's easier to um, infill housing in terms of opportunities to meet supply and making it easier to do so. So if someone has a a, a large section in town, they could subdivide and put a little apartment block in the back? They could. That's not going to address the housing crisis. I mean, how many opportunities are there? How many of those are going to crop up over the next year? Well, in terms of the longer term, you know, this this bill is proposed to develop quite an increase in housing opportunities across the country. So I accept that, you know, while Palmer's North as a Tier 2 opportunity would still have an option to engage with this, it seems as though the council may not want to pursue that because of the, the need. So I'm talking more about this housing bill is something that provides an opportunity across the country to address housing supply um, and concerns that are in that space, and that will have natural flow-on effects elsewhere, uh, including here in Palmerston North. I feel like I'm being quite mean today, and I apologise. <laughs> but right. the Kiwi, no. Kiwi Build was going to be the uh, the, the, the saviour of the, 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 the people and, and, and solve the housing crisis, and uh, sorry, but it fell on its arse. Um, is this 
are the developers on board with this? Is this something that developers and builders and tradies have gone, yep, this will help significantly in New Zealand to address the housing crisis? Because that was the problem with Kiwi Build that the builders went, well, not really interested. Well, in what that. I would say is that, you know, developers, builders, councils, um, those in heritage precincts and areas have been submitting to this bill um, throughout the whole process. Um, fundamentally, what, what I'm really keen to ensure is that this bill is not going to stymie things that are already in place. So, for example, where you have plans change opportunities that are already being progressed, that this is not additional hurdles and hoops that those involved in those plan change opportunities have to go to. It's meant to make it easier for people to be able to do these sorts of things. What is actually, I think, quite a a glowing aspect is that this is a a bill that is, um, it seems, has received bipartisan report across, support across the parliament. This is not a, a you know, Labour position and therefore National are going to be anti or a National mm. position therefore Labour are going to be anti it. So this is an absolute opportunity to have, you know, both of the major parties, Labour and National, come together and work on something that we both think is really important. Um, and through the select committee process, seeing that bipartisan support has been really encouraging um, and I think is actually, you know, it's something that doesn't happen very often across the parliament. Mm. On members' bills and conscience issues, they're a bit different. But when it comes to something as as important as and significant as housing infrastructure and meeting local need, to have the two major parties come together, I think is something that should be acknowledged. So if this addresses supply, will that address housing prices as well? Will the housing prices plummet when there is more supply? Absolutely. So when there is will an increase, they? well, when there is an increase to the market in terms of supply, then the natural effect is that there would be some reduction in price. That's and that's if you, you dump a whole lot of uh, brand new suburbs across the country sort of overnight whether you just but what you're proposing with the housing supply bill is that it seems to be a more sort of organic growth and easier to continue to do things at a certain pace which will not you know you, you won't flood the housing market with all these houses and everyone's going to be get the, the the buyers will get to pick and choose that's not going to you're it, certainly though. right there's you know th- this bill is not expected in the first 3 months to develop a flooding mm. sort of approach to new houses within the market but when you consider this alongside some of the other levers and though we've talked about this in the past as well in terms of um you know, tax incentive or disincentive for those wanting to own properties or more than one property, wanting to effectively flick them off, mm-hmm. that there is a disincentive to do that as Capital well. gains tax? Well, no, we're not going it's very clear. We, we have said that we're not going there, um, and that's quite clear. But in terms of these other levers that I have talked about in the past, and also not being one singular single bullet, a silver bullet, that when we put the housing supply bill alongside all of those other levers, that yes, over time we are expecting that it will go some way to address what is an important um, need out in our community. Uh, will, I mean, it, it's all sort of smoke and mirrors really and, and sort of guessing, but um, will inflation offset that? Will house prices come down? Because people's salaries are not going up at the same rate as house, as house prices. And again, the New Zealand housing system at the moment is thoroughly determined on your ability to own your own home. And if you don't, you're going to be renting when you are an old person and you will not have the security of uh, the homeowners. Unlike, as Caroline Miller said in in, in her episode on the catch-up, places like Germany where there are property development companies whose sole purpose is to build big complexes and rent you an apartment or a house with the securities that would come with homeowners. 
home ownership, but without the initial investment and mortgage and all the rest of it. We don't have that system here. Mm. So you need to own your own home. That's what everyone is told. You need to save and buy your own home. But people will not be able to do that unless salaries go up and house prices come down. And neither of those things seem to be happening right now. Well, the issue with um, with housing is that there is an absolute need, right? You and I both know that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, well, we do, even in the office here and others. There's no sort of debate around that. The whole point of this bill is to encourage an increase in supply in the housing market. So if we're looking at that as a fundamental driver, surely that's got to be a good thing. Mm. And so, you know, the last, since we got this in, in August, the, the Parliament and the Select Committee has been working extremely hard hearing from submitters. 966 submissions, I think it was, a number of them moral um, to, you know, try and respond to some of the issues, some of the, the constraints and the like. I mean, like I say, when this, but when the report of the Select Committee is publicly released, which if it hasn't been already, it will be at some stage in the next 24 hours, um, then we can talk about what's in there. But until then, all I can say is that the, the primary focus and purpose that is backed by Labor and National in this bill being introduced is to increase the supply of housing and by cutting some of that red tape and making it easier to do exactly that. Marvellous. Tang Utikeri is the uh, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. He is joining us on the catch-up this morning. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on accessmedia.nz, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, four minutes to rattle through some some more light-hearted topics, I, sure? I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, uh, Christopher Luxon is now the leader of the opposition. Uh, bye-bye, Judith. Um, I... I am not as scared uh, by Christopher Luxon as I am by uh, Judith Collins, um, although he does remind me of Muldoon. Well, look, I congratulate Mr Luxon on becoming the leader of, of the opposition and also his deputy, Nicholas. Um, you know, and, and I haven't made any comment on, on that over the course of the last week or so. I've been focused on working hard in my select committee, being back here in Palmerston North, um, getting on with the, the role of being the local member of parliament, which I love doing. Um, but at the same time, I congratulate them both on their... He, his um, initial speech uh, with uh, Nicola by his side, I thought he was setting quite a, a, well, to my point of view, quite an optimistic tone and that he did not just come out and start, you know, shooting at the Labour Party. He was very sedate. He acknowledged some strengths that Jacinda Ardern had. Um, this is the sort of opposition that I have been craving for years. Um <laughs> Is that a sign of things to come or was that just the pleasantries before he got his feet under the desk and and starts going to town? Well, I guess time will tell. Uh, But what I would say is I have had some engagement with uh, Christopher. Um, I mean, my my, uh, member's bill, for example, he was – well, I assume he still is at the moment, the local government spokesperson. And so, you know, it was my responsibility to engage with all of those spokespersons from across the parliament. Um, and so he had indicated support for my bill um, at that stage, and it's currently before the select committee. Um, so, yeah, time will tell what, what the opposition uh, wish or wish not to do. But I'm focused on being a, a pure representative here uh, for the Labour Party and also for my local constituents in Palmerston North. And your local constituents, uh, five of them I believe, uh, were honoured in the Civic Awards on Monday for their volunteer work. They were and it was a fantastic opportunity. I was um, asked to be the guest speaker um, and moving along from being on the selection panel uh, for many years as the Deputy Mayor and seeing how high that bar was. I mean this 
is the city's creme de la creme in terms of the threshold is extremely high mm-hmm. um, to receive the civic honour. So being able to um, speak and just share the significance, in my view, of community service, of volunteerism um, was just wonderful and being able to celebrate and acknowledge many years of service across a wide variety of our community as well. And their whānau um, on Monday evening this week was just fantastically awesome. Marvellous. And we should also acknowledge that Sonia in your electorate office is is moving on to Pastures New. She is. So Sonia, uh, as many will know, has uh, served in, in my office as one of our team, um, largely in that comms social media space. And so um, she was the first staff member who came on board. Um, and uh, had been with the the former member before me. Um, And so, yeah, unfortunately, she's going to move on at the end of next week. Um, And she's just been a fantastic addition to my team and providing support here locally. And I know that she's going to be very sorely missed, and um, I certainly wish her all the best for whatever comes next. But, yep, one of the team moving on, um, and I know that she's been, you know, quite a key person in terms of engagement with a number of stakeholders locally. Um, so yeah, I wish her a very Merry Christmas and we'll farewell her next week. And um, and now she's dead to you. She's never, leaving you. Never. I mean, she's still going to be a member of this community. And that's the great thing about Palmerston North. And I said this on Monday evening at the Civic Honours Awards is we are a really small community and it's not actually, I think, the size of a community that matters, but more about the strength and the relationships that we have here. And um, I will still have a very strong relationship with her. There we go. Tangi Utakeri, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition. Make sure you join us at half past eight on Monday morning. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.